you know, what Dana said about me, oh, you're not going to step in the octagon again, blah, blah, blah. Those things are the ones that shows most. Not my 798 fights that I did, you know, right. They don't care. They care what about what you did wrong. Mario Yamasaki, thank you for stopping in, man. How's everything going? Everything is great, man. Thank you for having me here. It's always a pleasure. I wanted to start by asking you, man. You know, I had read that your family has been teaching martial arts in Brazil for some time now, right? Do you know yes. more or less how early on they got into it and maybe the reason why that started to happen? Yes. You know, my father and my uncle, you know, we're my they're in, uh, Japanese descendant. And on the World War II, you know, they were nine years old, 11 years old, and they were being bullied in Brazil. So my grandfather put them in judo. And back then, judo was just, uh, you know, starting over there. And um, around 1949, you know, uh, 52, something like that. And um, it was all in the uh, places like, you know, farms and, and very... Uh, no, no mats, and you know, just uh, those things that you know the the cattle that they eat at, and they just throw that on top of it. So then, you know, they they had two lineage, you know, in São Paulo for judo, one of being uh, Ono. So my father went to Ono, and they became one of the best uh, judo practitioners, you know, in in Brazil. They were qualified for uh, the Olympics. But then back then, you know, didn't have weight classes, all, all weights. So they put a heavy guy to go, even though my father, you know, beat him up, they put him to the Olympics. And then later on, you know, they opened their own, you know, the first gym in 1956, uh, I think was the first gym. And they had 14 gyms in Brazil. Um, they got, you know, some Pan-American champions, some, you know, world champions. My cousin competed in Barcelona in 92 in judo. My brother was qualified for wrestling, but they didn't have, uh, the federation didn't have the money to take them to the Olympics. So then, you know, we start teaching in my father's gym or we are 14, 15 years old, starting helping them out. And then when I was 17, 18, my father sold all the gyms. My uncle kept, you know, a couple gyms. And so I was a little frustrated because, you know, he sold the gyms. He went, became a lawyer. And then I started, I'm not going to do it anymore. I stopped it for a little bit. And then I started teaching kids judo. And I got, uh, I met Marcelo Bering, my master in jiu-jitsu. And I thought I was a tough guy, you know, in, in my area. And I just got my ass kicked by him. And I told my brother, I said, wow. You know, we thought about, you know, we're tough. This, you know, guy is tougher. And in the martial arts that he does is, you know, because we before in judo, we were prohibited to go and do jujitsu. So they didn't want us to mix. And I said, we have to. And then we got banned by, you know, from judo. Uh, but the jujitsu also community didn't accept us because we came from judo. So our lives always been hard to get into the thing, system, but we are uh, warriors and we got in. <laughs> absolutely and you know you seem to be from a family again that seems to be very ingratiated in the culture of mma right and i'm always curious with a family like that like 
if if you when you were younger you had said you know i want to go do something else i don't want to approach this whole martial arts thing being that you know your brother your father your uncle were in it what do you, would you think they would have been okay with you going and pursuing something else or was it just so much of a family thing that they wanted you to pursue it as well well let me put it this way my son i gave him a choice you can choose one martial arts or one uh, um, um, sorry I was talking Portuguese right now and, uh, you can you can choose any sport you want okay but you're gonna do two one is gonna be jiu-jitsu the other one you can choose and my father said the same thing you know you're gonna do judo and then you can choose anything you want I did uh, soccer basketball you know I did a lot of surfing so we're very athletic people so we don't, we don't, you know, say, oh, you're not going to do this. You can do it. But my son, I, and they asked me, is your son going to be a fighter? If he's going to be a fighter, it's up to him. He's going to know how to fight. So that's uh, basically what we go in and we live for. You know, you said two sports was better, right? Was it important to, to find a sport outside of martial arts to stay busy as well? Was that something important? Well, I think we believe that sports take you out of the trouble, you know, and, and, you focus like my son now. He wants to be a soccer player, so he's very dedicated. He, you know, he swims, he runs, he goes by himself. He's not anybody pushing him. That's his dream. So I'm, I'm pushing him to do that. You know, I'm helping him whatever he needs, so he can pursue his dream. Because, um, you know, I didn't do any college, and I came here. I was 24 years old, and so I had to do everything from scratch. You know, do work you know like uh cutting grass painting this and that until i could do what i want so i tell him all the time i tell them both of my kids use everything that you learn in life as your step so you want to do something is a knowledge so you get knowledge then you move on you know just just don't stay put in one place and i told them i said i want you guys to do a college at least it doesn't matter what you do you can do ballet you can do music but just the process to going through that is, is, you know, good for your life. Your responsibility to, you know, you have to deliver essays and all that. So that is experience that I, I didn't have, I want them to have because it's always helped. I fully agree. You know, I, I fully think that, um, I think sports, there's something beautiful to sports even beyond that. If you notice in the world, there's a lot of like, you know, racism and things like that right but if you notice there's nothing that brings people together like a good sports team right like you know exactly even in let's say martial arts right when you you know you're you're watching a great fight and you sort of don't care who's in the crowd right it's sort of like a a great way to unify people i think sports in general yes it's it's a beautiful thing and i think it's powerful honestly it is it is speaking of the um you know the whole mma stuff right i was gonna ask you how yeah. How did you sort of get your start as a referee in mixed martial arts? Well, when I was young, my father and my uncle, my uncle and my father went five times to Olympic Games as international referees in judo. So they are the only ones that could teach classes in Brazil for referees. And they used me, my brother, my cousin as, uh, uh, you know, fake fighters. So we commit fouls and we do all that for the, so they can teach the new, newly coming referees. So I learned, you know, the mechanics and all the you know, movements and, and how to be precise and what to look for and where to position ourselves. So when the Valitudo came, you know, in Brazil started as a Valitudo, nobody wanted to 
to referee because in jiu-jitsu, you know, if you referee and you tie and you have Carson Grace in one, in one side and then Ian Grace on the other, you know, cussing and saying, you know, and, and if you give a, a result to one and you're going to get beat outside. You know? So it's always a fr- people are afraid of refereeing because it was really rough. And we always, we liked it. We always did it. We always, you know, push everybody around and, and did it. And uh, so when they start Balitudo, we said, okay, we do it. We start doing it. We didn't even know, you know, because everything goes back then. And then when I came, you know, when the, I came to the U.S. and all the, you know, my history of opening the gym and all that started. When I went to the UFC, you know, we, we were responsible for taking the UFC first time in Brazil in 1998. So when they did it, the UFC in, in Brazil, I met everybody backstage. I met, you know, Joe McCarthy and all that. And I said, John, you know, why are you the only referee in UFC? What about if you get sick or you, you know, get hurt? So, you know, we were looking for somebody. Do you know anybody? So I raised my hand and I start, you know, doing my, I pay my own ticket to go to the places like, you know, Birmingham, Alabama. I pay my ticket to go there, get a hotel. And I used to stay, you know, outside the venue because they had a, a lady called Paula. She used to give all the credentials. And I used to wait until the end because she said, you know, if, if a credential is, you know, if you have any left, you get in. If not, then you can go. So every time I waited, I waited. And I always had, you know, some extra credentials. I went in. And John let me, you know, referee the, the first fights, the preliminary couple of fights. And then I went two, three, four times and they invited me to go to Japan, you know, UFC Japan. And then I said, now you guys have to, you know, do a contract with me because I'm not going to be paying me for, you know. So they, they hired me. UFC hired me directly there. And then, you know, after that came the commissioner and everything started changing. And here we are today. And when they brought you on, did they have a lot of referees that were on sort of like Big John that, you know, that it was expected that you're going to see them in with the UFC, you know, for the further future? Like, none, there a lot none. of referees or no? None. Just wow. me and John. Literally just you and John? And then, yeah. And then Larry Landless came. Uh, then uh, Herb came. And then we start. they used to take us to all the places – and we we do classes for the referees and judges on the you know every state that we went, and so they they let them them referee on the preliminary. So we started teaching them until you know we became a global. Wow. Went to Mexico, you know England, Japan. So I always had some referees there local local, so we could you know use them on the preliminary. So we can start teaching them. So we're not just us. Yeah, absolutely. And so early on, because this is interesting, it was it was just you and John. You said so. You guys had to like, I guess, alternate between fight. Like you go now, I yeah. go, you go. Now. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Now you know, as a referee, I would think you have to be pretty sharp, right? So, is there like a mental fatigue that comes to when you're on like your fourth, fifth fight of the night? Let's say it's like the co-main event, and like it's almost over. And you're like, man, this is like my fifth fight. Like, oh, I'm not that into. Is it like? Is there something yeah. to that? Like, how many? Let that's me ask why- you that. How many? How many at the time was that difficult? But now, because I don't really realize, how many fights do refs do per night, like on average now? I wanted to ask you those two things. Yeah. Now, the, the beginner, you know, like on the referees that are starting now, they do like maximum two fights, the preliminaries. And then we do the rest. But usually we don't do more than three fights a night. Maximum four. This is now, right? This is now. 
before, if we had eight fights, I do four, John do four. He always did the main events, you know, all the best fights he got it. And I didn't care, you know, I was just learning and having an experience of my life. I was traveling all over the world. It was a great experience. So, and aside from, you know, Big John sort of maybe helping you with that opportunity, right? Maybe putting in a word with the UFC. Did he help you out as far as like the technical aspect of being a referee? Like, did he give you a lot of pointers as, as you guys work together? Always. Because, you know, he's there, he was there from the beginning. So he started, you know, because the, the UFC used to talk to him a lot because, you know, they didn't know anything about it. He didn't even know. So they, he, they start talking to make the, the MMA rules. Because when they start, you know, it used to be three fights per night. Same guy who fight three nights, three fights. And then they became, you know, they changed to one fight a night. And then, you know, timing and then uh, uh, rounds. So all that started to, you know, evolve. And this evolution, you know, me and John always talked, always, you know, he always been my mentor. Everything I ask him, he always answer. He's a really nice guy. He has a, a mind of an elephant. He doesn't forget anything. So he talks about fights that happened 20 years ago. And I was like, oh, my God. So he's really knowledgeable. He's really nice. He, he wants the sport to grow. So he always helped me. And obviously, being a referee, especially in MMA, could seem like such a high-pressure job, right? Like, it seems like of all the jobs, that kind of is like, you know, again, the most high stakes job, right? Like one mistake could be so crucial, except for maybe being, you know, the two fighters in there. You know, when you were in there, right? It, maybe you could have been like a conversation with John as you were ready to, you know, sort of embark on your UFC referee journey. It could have been just a talk with anybody else, just something that you had to figure out yourself. Did you know going into it, like, this is a job where if I make a mistake, people are going to be mad, fighters, fans. Like, did you, were you fully aware of the consequences that came with, with maybe making a mistake as a ref? Like, were you aware yes. of those things yes. going into it? Yes. Yes. Yes, because judo is really, you know, strict on that. Especially, you know, back then, it's a different, it was a different uh, point system. So if you go out and I'm sitting on the, on the side, my, my gesture has to be, bah, bah, it has to be right there, like in a second. So for you to become international referee in judo, it takes a long time. You have to do a lot of, you know, competitions. And if you're not sharp, you know, you're not going to go in. So MMA is the same. You got you to gotta think, you know, in split second, what are you going to do? Is he knock out? Is he's just knocked down? Are you going to let him go? Or, you know, you're going to stop the fight? Those uh, are really important. So I live with that for enti- my entire life. So that pressure doesn't bother me. You know, like, for example, you have 25,000 people in the arena screaming. You know, in Brazil, for example, when they went to the second time, we had the Jose Aldo and, and Chad Mendes. You know, they had a fight before I ref, and I disqualified the guy in Brazil. And, you know, it was a really, really big hit on me because everybody started, you know, Especially in Brazil, Screaming right? and saying that I did. Oh, it. fuck. You know, And right? then, yeah, the guy, you know, yeah. So then for me, that was hard. And, and I said, and they, they, somebody told me, oh, don't go to the, because I was going to do the main event. And said, don't do the main event. You know, they're going to kill you, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what? This is like swimming. If I almost die swimming, if I never go back in the water, I'm never going to go back in the water. 
So let me go and then fuck it. Let's put it. So then I went and, you know, I did what I did and, and that's it. Mistakes everybody makes. Um, the, my, my biggest mistake is going always true to the rule. You grab the fence, it's a foul. You poke in the eye, it's a foul. You knee on the balls, it's a foul. So those things I always very strict because of judo. But on TV, you know, MMA is different. You know, you see people going, you know, like a lot of referees going, let it go, you know, knee on the balls or this and that. Or, or the guy stop, like, for I'm going to take you down. You stop on the fence. That's a big foul because, you, you, you know, it changed the, the course of the, the fight. So I used to be strict on that, and I got really criticized for that. So, you know, and then I want to, like, for example, Mike Chiesa, you know, Chiesa, he he went out. I mean, I, I'm, you know, being jiu-jitsu for entire life in judo. His arm was here, left sort of goes like this. And he then, he, you know, because I was so fast, he came out fast. And then he says that his technique is just to relax it and relax his muscle. I, I, you know, I don't know if you know about, you know, rear naked choke. If you relax, you're going to die. So how are you going to just relax? That's a technique? No. So, you know, people criticize, oh, he stopped too early. You didn't, you know, move his hand. I didn't need to do that. But when then a, with Valentina. Do you look right. at the clock when you're in a situation like that or not at all? Do you look not like, not all right, there's 20 somethings, not at all? You just look at No, the because, you know, we have a 10 second signal. So the 10 second signals I know. Okay. I don't need to be looking at, you know, only the 10 seconds. That's how it's going to, you know, my reaction is going to be from there. So, and then, uh, you know, Valentina Chevichenko and, and Pedrita, I didn't check. I Because see, that's the, the other thing that when you start become famous, you know, I was in Brazil and then I start, you know, interview here, interview that and this and that, and, you know, sponsors and, you know, events that I have to take. So I didn't focus and I didn't realize but then when I was in the locker room, I said to the, both of them, I said, look, why are you defending yourself intelligently? I'm going to let the fight go. You know, so every time, she, you know, Valentina is punching, 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 said, I'm going to stop the fight. I'm going to stop the fight. She moved. So then, I, you know, I have to go by my words. And, and that's how, it, you know, I should have changed. So I learned my lesson. So every everything is, you know, the sports evolve so fast. And... So, you know, we, we just have to be constantly learning and, and, and changing our, our way of seeing things. Because if you stay on the same place, it's going to change. So you think it's you think it's completely normal for even someone like it's been as long as a referee as you are, you're always learning. Is that what you're trying to say? Like even at that always level, learning. you're always learning? Always. Because, see, the, the sports is new. It's evolving. You know, I started with no rules. They could, you could, you know, headbutt. You could, uh, the only rules you, you had, there was no biting. You know, but the rest, you could do anything. Even, you know, eye gouging and all this. So then it started evolving, you know, from, from the beginning, like, you know, Tank Abbott trying to throw somebody from the fence. Then you couldn't throw anybody from the fence anymore. You know, uh, Joe Lober in Brazil with Pat Militech grabbing the shorts, you know, on their ass. All entire life, so you, entire fight, so you couldn't hold the shorts anymore from their own. So then, you know, you go to uh, to England, and the commission that wants to see this way, and then you go to Utah, they want to go see this way. So that's how they start unifying the rules because it was driving us crazy. You know, one one state you can elbow, the other state you cannot elbow. One state you can do this, the other state you can't do that. 
you're always confusing for my entire life was like that changing always so now the, the unified rules are, are in is getting better and easier to do it so it's much better now so speaking of now if there was like a you know a young man that wanted to become a referee wanted to go about you know sort of something similar to what you went about what do you think now is the best way to go about it, right? You said that you were doing uh, for judo as well, right, early on. You said that, um, you know, the game is changing. It's evolving so much, right? So for any, like, young referees that are trying to get into MMA now, what do you think is the best course of action to prepare yourself for what some of the stuff you might experience in the UFC or in just any high-level promotion well, being an MMA yeah. ref? Yeah, not just the UFC. The first thing he should do is look for an instructor, like, you know, I have a course. Joe McCarthy has a course. Herb has a course. There you go. So do take a course from one of the referees. And if you pass, then you have, a, you know, you have something to start going to the commission and say, look, I did the test, you know, the course I passed. And then it's, that's a relationship that has to create. And watch a lot of fights, but looking in a different way, looking in the referee's eyes, looking at the judge's eyes. Because, you know, the referee eyes is one thing. The, ref the judge eyes is a different thing. They see two different things. And so that's why, you know, it depends. You want to be a judge, you got to look for the fight the one way. You want to be a referee, you look to fight different way. Who do you think are some of the best referees right now in, in the world of MMA? Like, who do you think does it about as good as you can possibly do it? Well, Herb Dean is, is one of the best. Um, uh, what's the name of the guy from England? Uh, Mark Goddard. Mark Goddard is great. Yeah. Um, they have, uh, you know, Hazard is good too. A bunch of them now is good because, you know, when you're consistent, you know, and you're working a lot, it, it becomes part of your daily, you know. So all the four or five referees that they are on the UFC all the time now, they're pretty good. They're, they're great. You know, it, Everybody's going to make a mistake, you know, you're there. So Herb made a mistake. John made a mistake. I made a mistake. And it's life, you know. But what, what happens What happens is um, in life, you know, uh, especially now with the media, you know, the internet going very fast, um, you get you get your, your haters. Like, for example, let's say, we, you know, I, I referee 800 fights and I fuck up in four. The only thing that shows in my, my history is for the four fuck-ups that I did. Because yeah. those are the ones that keep pushing, pushing, pushing. You know, to, and sometimes it's not relevant, but that's that's there. You know, what Dana said about me, oh, you're not going to step in the octagon again, blah, blah, blah. Those things are the ones that shows most. Not my 798 fights that I did, you know, right. They don't care. They care what about what you did wrong. So, and that's, that's why we say in Brazil, we casca grossa, you know, thick skin. You got to build that. Because if you don't do it, you're not, you're not supposed to be in here. Yeah. And speaking of thick skin, you know, obviously you just brought it up. Dana had some, you know, harsh words for you, but are you sort of a, you know, are you appreciative in a way for, you know, the relationship you had with Dana and your time in the UFC, looking back on it? Do you, is there some gratitude there? I love it. I have no regrets. Um, Without them, I would never visit the cities and states or, or countries that I did. They always treat me first class, you know, like the hotels, everything was great. Um, I have, it's a cycle. I've been there for 20 years. And it's something that I loved. It gave me joy. 
He gave me happiness. He gave me fame, you know, fame and, you know, uh, money. And can't complain, you know. It, it, they lost, not me, because I will continue. But he's just, uh, uh, you know, media talk. And he's on his right. Um, we had a relationship at the beginning when it was uh, uh, small, you know, when they just bought it. I was there before Dana White. So when they bought it, you know, he was really nice. We went out all the time. We talked and we had, you know, a close relationship, you know, open relationship like I could call him anytime. When it became a corporation, you know, started to put people under him. And, you know, people are jealous and they start blocking you. So a lot of people start blocking us going to, you know, oh, you, you can't talk to Dana now. You have to talk to me. You can't do this. You have to do this, you know. And then it became really cold, especially after they, they sold the last time. It's even colder. So it's, a, it's a, just a business now. It's not anymore of a, what we had before. I think, you know, I lived on the glamour and all the best time of UFC. Was nobody never is gonna be back what we had before, ever. You don't think do you think the golden days are done? The golden days for us, right? For, for or, referees. Or for referees was because all the parties, all the stuff that we did, all this, you know, was great. Now you go there, you work like a salary guy, boom, leave. You can't can't say anything, you can't talk too much, you can't, you know. Right now you got the ESPN deal, so it's more corporate and all it's that. Different, well. yes, it's a different story now. Still oh. great though, you know. I'm not saying it's not good, but yeah. Do you still watch the product? I do. Not all the time because I think it's too much now, but you know, too many yeah. every weekend. So I can't follow, you know, unless it's somebody that I know. But sometimes I can't every weekend be watching UFC. It's not me, but I still watch a lot. Yeah. Would, let's say the UFC reached out and said, you know, we'd love to have you come back, rep some fights. Is that something you'd be interested in doing based on some of the stuff you said or no? For sure. For sure. So even how it is now, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't for mind. You, for you to stuff. see, I wouldn't go, yeah, I wouldn't go back on my own now. Because, you know, it was really rough for my family. You know, I spent 20 years, you know, traveling every month. So uh, a reporter went to my daughter one day, asked, you know, is 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 um, nice to have a, a famous father, blah blah blah, and she said, yeah, this guy's not, you know, he's never in my birthdays, New Year's, he's never here, so you know, my father is not here, he's a referee, but you know, I miss my father, so now I'm I'm home more than, most of the time now, more than ever, but then I was, you know, talking to my son, he said. Dad, why don't you go back to UFC? I said, son, I don't want to go back because of this reason, that reason. Say, yeah, but now I can go with you. I can travel with you. Are you right? Yeah. I said, well, if I just happens, then I'll go just for him to go back. But my stuff there, I did it. What I, you know, I I have no wishes to do anything else. Like you know, I did. I was the first referee, MMA referee at the Madison Square Garden, first referee in Mexico. You know. I was the only Brazilian referee. So, you know, for me, I did my run. If I go back now, it would be for joy and fun, no pressure, just, you know, to have, to bring my son to this game a little more so he can see what I did, you know, and I was what I was before. I was in a video game. I had my doll, you know, my bubble head, 
my cards. So for me, what else do I want? You know? So as far as MMA, you sort of feel like you there's everything you've done, everything you can do already, right? Well, because see, I don't want to be a coach anymore. You know, I I used to have some fighters and stuff, but it's I don't like to babysit, first of all. And then when the, the guy becomes a champion, then I have to start babysitting even more. They start not respecting, you know, and, and all, all you did for him, well, after he's a champion, then he's no everything. So I don't like that. So I said, I'm not going to do it. You know, I, even my gyms, and we have, you know, 15 gyms. And I started, but now my brother, you know, takes care of it. He, he's, he runs it because I have a construction company now. So I'm a, you know, general contractor and, and I love because... It's, it's almost the same as MMA. You know, every every day is a different thing, different problems, different fights. So you know, I'm great. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, of course, I have a little. Of course, I have a little. You know, like Dana. I think Dana was a little. You know, too rush on me because I'm not that bad. You know, and, and for you know, 20 years there, and he always came to me. We talk a lot, and and for him just to be a media guy, just destroy a guy. Oh, you're not going to step here anymore. I didn't, you know, that wasn't that bad. But I think also because of, uh, you know, what I said and, and things like that, because, you know, I wanted, I had a, a, a public relation back then and they told me to say that. And I said it as, you know, to let her be a warrior and blah, blah, blah. And that became the the focus point on him. So, and then I think he stopped saying bad things about referees and judge because, if he keeps fighting everybody, he's not going to have anybody there. So they, they told me him to hey, back out because otherwise he's going to destroy the, the the game. And, you know, it's obviously something you must have really loved, right? Because, you know, you said the construction stuff. You had some I mean, you had some schools outside of the refereeing, right? So it wasn't for money, right? So you no, must have really never. loved it. If it was a job that you get all that criticism, you already have the financial <laughs> stuff. You must really love refereeing, huh? <laughs> I love it. I mean, for me, it was never for money. Always for, I never thought it would be this big. When I started, I started on UFC 20. And I went, the first UFC was 1996, and uh, Ultimate Ultimate 96 with Tank Abbott, Kimo. You know, they fought three three fights a night. You know, uh, uh, so for me, it was always about the adrenaline, you know, being in the middle of the mix. And we used to spar, whatever, I spar with Coleman, Renderman. Randy Couture, you know, Chuck Liddell, we always spar, in, you know, in the hotel. So I used to love it because, you know, we, 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 I used to test myself and all those guys. So for me, it was great. Now it's different. It's, you know, everything is different, but still great. Still, you know, Absolutely. it's still a, a growing and, and it's going to grow more. So last question, man. What are some of the things you like doing most now outside of refereeing? Like you like spending time with the family, things like that? Yes, I do a lot of uh, motivational speech now, you know, companies for companies and stuff. I do a uh, uh, race go-kart. That's a big adrenaline too. I love, you know, racing. And uh, so I do I do stuff, you know, normal stuff. I, I train jiu-jitsu. Yes, I, you know, I train jiu-jitsu. I do some gym stuff now. I, I'm going to play uh, celebrity soccer in Brazil in the 22nd. So I'm just living the life now. I can't, you know, complain too much. I'm 58 years old. Happily married, two kids. So what's the celebrity match you're doing here? What's up with that? Well, you know, in Brazil, they do a lot of celebrity, you know, uh, sports thing. They do volleyball, they do soccer, they do go-kart racing. And I do soccer and I do go-kart racing. 
And so every time they have some, they, they invite me, I go and, and they have all these movie stars, the, you know, the soap opera stars, the singers and me. <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> and, sure. uh, you know, so I love it. It's just fun. And then we had a great time. Do you like doing good. things that sort of like to sort of keep you young still? Cause those, you know, soccer, go-karting, you know, yeah. those are things that you see, uh, you know, I'm not calling, I'm not saying you're old or anything, but I'm saying like, do you like to stay active like that? You like to do things like that to sort of keep yourself like in the, in the youth spirit? Yes. Like for example, right. I, for me, I always say time doesn't exist. So time is here. If you're late for to meet somebody, if you're waiting for somebody is very, you know, so the thing is time is here. And then also your age is here. Age isn't a paper. You are, I was born in 1964, but I, I don't feel like that. I feel I'm 35, 40 years old. So I keep training. I keep doing moving, you know, because I think life, when I, when I talk to people you know, about kids, for example, I always say kids should, be, should do sports, at least one sport in their life. It should be out, you know, going out of their, their comfort zone on their parents, either to another state on their country if they cannot go out internationally, but most likely international is the best thing to do. Go a year out and go learn because then your, your brain expands. So you learn, you, you just always learning. And I, I, for me, you know, I'm creative. And then if you keep creating, you're never going to have Alzheimer. You know, if you just go sit down here and, and, and I, you know, if I don't already did everything in my life, oh, you know, I want to just sit down here. I could because I have money coming in, you know, I couldn't, I, but I can't do that. If I stay here, I want to get my grandkids. I can, I, I want to be able to pick up my grandkids and, and, and throw in the air because, you know, movements go up the stairs, down the stairs, get in the car, get out of the car. Those are important things when you start getting old. And it's funny that I was in Brazil. I took my son to a soccer game. And I went to the Metro and they had the seats, you know, like those 60, in Brazil, 60 years old, you're already an uh, uh, old man. So I said, oh, my son, I said, two years, I can just sit over there. Don't, and you don't pay, you know, buses and, and trucks. Oh, <laughs> and man. you can park on the old, you know, old spot. In two years, I can do that. But it's still moving. I'm still young. So I don't know. Well, he's there he's to remind here. you anyway. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is it nice to have a to son that you could sort of, you know, give advice from, you know, your past experiences as well? You know, it's great. I always wanted to do that. I always I wanna I always wanted to have kids so I can talk and you know, can talk back to me, we can teach. But uh one thing that I learned is I can I can educate your kids, but I cannot educate my kids. When hearts involved, when love is involved, it's really, really hard for you to do it. So then I'm learning as it goes too, because you know it's really hard to raise some some raise people. So, but if, you know, if I'm teaching is one thing, if by if is my own family is a different thing. So you know, I always push them away for me to to learn, because then they can learn. You know, because they don't listen to what you say; they only do what you they see you doing. So that's definitely an interesting perspective. Yeah, keep that in mind. All right, guys. So it looks like that's going to wrap up our time here. Mario, thank you so much for stopping in, sharing some of the time, some of the stories with us. You know, we wish you and your family all the best. A happy new year. And uh, again, man, thanks for coming by. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here.